Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I've got another great episode lined up for today. Our guest has over 20 years of experience with retail, specifically in learning and development in HR. He is currently the Director of Learning and Development at Bloomingdale's. Please welcome to the show, Stephen Valeka. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Justin. Thank you for having me on. So excited to have you. We had a fantastic prep call and I'm diving, uh, dying to dive into some of those topics with you sure. further, but I want to get started and ask you what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today. Okay. So I think the biggest challenge, and forgive me if I refer to them as the hourly frontline colleague, so I'll try to remember that we're calling them the deskless, uh, but same, same. As long as we're being respectful, we can refer to them however you'd like. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, in my industry, we, you know, we, we refer to them as our hourly colleagues or our frontline workers because they are uh, working directly with the customers. Um, so I think, especially uh, now, today, after these last few years of, of turmoil in our, in our country, whether it's social unrest, political unrest, a pandemic, I think the role of, of the frontline worker has become that much more difficult. And I think because of where we are in a, a society, I think the role is a lot demand, more demanding. Um, so what they face every day, we don't experience as much on the corporate side because we're not interacting with the public. So that's one challenge. And I think our other challenge, which remains constant throughout is how we reach that, that group of people because they don't have the ability to walk off the floor, sit at a computer, take a course because they're hourly workers. So there are different rules that apply to them and their livelihood is based on their time on, on the selling floor. So when I look at retail, the service industry, the hospitality industry, the airline industry, I think we're all in this together with where we've moved in these last three years as, as a culture and, and the challenges they face. Yeah. I love that you you combined a lot of the industries that we focus on here in this podcast. You know, with with hospitality, airlines, certainly um, a lot of workers that, as you said, are interacting directly with the public, and their roles are often evaluated by the tasks that they're completing, the interactions that they're having with those customers, and I think oftentimes they are not given the space or the time. To, to do a lot of the other things that are really essential for their role, like learning. <laughs> right, right. I, I agree. And I think in these industries that I listed, we all took a break for a while, a forced break with, with the shutdowns. And when I think people are still suffering from that, and it was a lot of ground to make up. When, when you're a corporate worker and you're salaried, and whether you were furloughed or not, <clears throat> you, know, you still always have that guaranteed income. I think when you're an hourly worker, and you're shut down unless you were deemed essential, 
uh, and my industry wasn't deemed essential. So, so our hourly workers were, were shut down for about three months, depending on the store. But then when they opened up, they returned to this climate we're in. So I think when you're, when you're just, it's just, a, you just didn't return to normal. You had to return to what we're calling that new normal and re-navigate how you accomplished your, your role um, and how you drove your income, especially if you're an hourly worker on commission, because everyone just didn't run back to our stores. I mean, it took a little time, um, but shopping patterns have changed, a shift to online, because listen, we spent three months at home and we did not suffer from not being able to buy anything we needed, so. No, for sure. That's a whole new upskilling of, of our teams that we're, we're facing. Yeah, I, I think in retail in particular, it forced such technological change and then also a required behavior change Absolutely. by all of the associates that were affected by that, right? And it, these were things, you know, I find so fascinating. I think retail is probably one of the areas that this impacted most is that these technologies aren't necessarily new. Um, you know, the handheld devices that you're using have been around for decades yeah. and, you know, the capability of deploying software to those devices. And a lot of those things that happened were really possible many years ago, Yes. but man, did the pandemic just accelerate <laughs> the pace of some of those changes, right? I mean, yeah. curbside pickup and things like that, Absolutely. pickup in store, that kind of stuff. Like these are things and, and capabilities. Some retailers had put some of those things in place before, but the volume of the business that was happening through those technologies yeah. just required such a, a rapid behavior change. Can you just, I, I want to give the audience a little bit about your background, but sure. I'd love to just dive into to that piece just a little bit. Like the speed of change, did you experience that in your organization mm -hmm. and, and how did that affect you and, and your teams? Yeah, I think every every retail organization experienced the, the need to change quickly, the need to adapt. Um, and I think uh, not speaking on, on behalf of Bloomingdale's, just speaking on retail in general, throughout those that year or two years of the pandemic, you saw so many retailers close that weren't strong, uh, that weren't relevant or that weren't adapting. And I think strong stores today move very quickly to adapt these programs. And I think that's some of the benefits of, I mean, it's very hard to say a pandemic, there were great things about it, but what I think it did was forced all of us, everyone to think differently, try new programs, try new ways of selling. Because at the end of the day, the hourly worker or the deskless colleague relies on customer business to drive their income. Yep. And without a, a when, if I'm just talking on the store side, you know, the dot-com business explodes, but ultimately if, if you choose a career in, in retail or you choose a career on a flight attendant or a hotel worker, you're relying on people walking through your doors. Yep. And I had to adapt how to, how to approach your role differently. And that ties back to the education piece. So how do we reskill the hourly colleague that we can't pull into a classroom. You know, the yeah. corporate office is simple. I could take an hour course out of the day and my boss is gonna be fine with it. I have that ability to do that. Hourly colleague, they can't do it on their own time and they can't do it while they're working. So, so I think that's the challenge that I face every day is how do I provide bite-sized information that's interactive, that's engaging, that's virtual real life, so that they could, so that the hourly colleague or, or the deskless worker could still learn, but in a bite-sized format that's relevant. <clears throat> All right. I want to come back to a couple of those things, okay. but I want to let the audience know who they're hearing from. So sure. 
tell us how you ended up in the role that you're in today. Give us a little bit about your history and some of the important milestones uh, throughout that journey. Sure. Well, I know it's unique to say I've been with a company for 24 plus years. It is. And uh, I think as I I reflect back on my career, the reason why it's been as long as it it has been and I've been so loyal to a brand is that my role has always evolved. And I think that's part of of what I've always loved about the culture. Um, I think the the first 15 years I was on the corporate side and I had learning and development under um, my air of responsibility, but I had decided I, I just need to change this up. And I wanted to gain generalist experience and learn more about HR law and learn more about the different functions. And I, I didn't want to just be pigeonholed in learning and development, but in order to do that, I felt the most rewarding and fulfilling way and probably the most challenging way would to leave the corporate office and transition to the store environment where I, the majority of the people I would be responsible for from an HR perspective would be the deskless worker, the hourly colleague. Um, and there was a lot of reasons for that. And, it be, and primarily the reasons would be the challenges that I believe the hourly colleague experience in life is, is different than a corporate office in New York City. And whether it's a group of people that is highly more diverse uh, different from a economic background um, and also different from the experiences they face with being customer facing. So all of these different reasons or exposures is what led me to, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this that this way and go into the stores field. Um, so I spent about a year and a half in South Florida and that's where I gained my first exposure as, as a generalist in a store. And then from there, I was uh, asked to come back and I went to our flagship. Um, and that was a whole new set of learning. So to be in a flagship with 2000 hourly colleagues that were union, I felt this was really going to up my game from a learning perspective uh, and from a challenge perspective. And it was probably the three most rewarding years I've had out of my 24 being in our flagship, just from what I've learned. Are you saying a single store has 2000 employees? Holy smokes. Yeah. I had yeah. no idea yeah. that it would be that many people in a single store. Yeah. That's oh yeah. Mean. Um, so that was probably, you know, that was a great uh, learning experience. And I think that's where I learned the most with regard to uh, not only just why unions are in place or, or it, it just was a, a educational experience to really learn all the different facets of HR law. And then this role opened up right before the pandemic. And I thought, well, now I could take five years of living it. So I thought the five years experience gained working directly in our stores with, with um, deskless workers, I'd be able to now be responsible for the education and the development they're receiving. So it was sort of perfect universe giving me this role. Um, so now I, I focus on the development of the colleague end-to-end experience for our professional colleagues and for our, our hourly colleagues. That's fantastic. You, you mentioned before one of the challenges <clears throat> with being an hourly worker is they can't train on the job and they can't train off the job. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> I think depending on the, you know, there are definitely companies that will have their colleagues spend you know six weeks in a training program off the floor like if i looked at a louis vuitton that's their approach 
Uh, we don't have the ability to do that. A lot of retailers don't have the ability to do that. So when I look at different groups I'm part of and I hear and I listen and I, I learn from other learning and development industry experts, you know, some companies have gone directly to e-learning. So the entire onboarding experience is a human sitting in front of a computer. I don't believe in that. I believe there's a balance. So I believe in, in, in e-learning provides an education equity so that if you are a part-timer or a full-timer, you're a professional, you're an hourly, you're receiving the same level of education. And that to me is what's fair. And that to me is the way we should always approach it. Just because you're part-time doesn't mean you should receive a scaled down version of, of what your role is. Yeah. The challenge though, is from an ongoing education standpoint. So we have flexibility. I think most retailers have flexibility on how they want to onboard. It's the ongoing education. How do I continue to grow and develop and, and sharpen a person's skills when they are customer facing and on the floor? So they don't have the ability to, I, I mean, we could say, I'll take you off the floor for an hour and provide you this training. Well, but then I have to determine, well, how now is the floor covered? by taking this person off the floor. If this person is commissioned, how do I figure out how to pay, pay them a non-sell? Do they wanna be off the floor for an hour? Because they might have client appointments. So there's all of these different logistics that face us with regard to educating uh, the hourly work, the hourly associate colleague. Then on the other side of it is they, we can't ever ask somebody to do something off the job. So when They're you mentioned, clock. right. Yeah. So when you mentioned all the technology and the handheld and the apps, I, we don't have the ability to say, Hey, Justin on your smartphone, download this app. Cause this is how I'm going to provide you ongoing education. What's your personal device? And I can't do that. You know, could they voluntarily do something like that? Perhaps, but then there's this whole idea of, Am I encouraging this person to learn off work time? So the laws that protect our hourly colleagues for good reason, and those laws have been put into place because of companies that I think have taken advantage of, of that sector of people. Right. Um, so we just have a lot more to navigate with regard to. So my whole platform is always about the people leader. And how do we leverage our people leaders to provide the inspiration and the education of the hourly colleague? So how do you, what's their role? What do you think is the role of the, the people leaders as it relates, you know, cause I'm, I'm thinking about this kind of um, tugging in both directions, right? We've right. got e-learning content over here, which is right. often designed to be uh, self, you know, um, self-led self-led and then we've got people leaders on the other side so how do you see the scenario where those things are blended together well, that's corny and you've heard me say this before but it's this activation e-learning or activation education and reinforcing e-learning does not take the place of, of human connection i think e-learning is an incredible platform the advancements with some of these vendors i i, I work with or they're pitching me these these artificial intelligence it's so real life and, and i've learned to to create as much as i can in e-learning the challenge is always still going to be the execution of it because i do think a person can learn 
from an interactive e-learning that has proficiency checks and that has real life scenarios where they have to select the right path to move forward. So I do think it offers a, an experience and retention if done well. How do you bring it to life? How is that interpreted for, for your individual personality? I think the role of the people leader, like Justin, if you were to take a course and I was to take a course, well, I might bring it to life in an entirely different way because of my personality versus you. And that doesn't mean one, one is right or what's wrong, but in the framework of the brand, what's the expectation of now you took this e-learning, how do you bring it to life on the floor with the customer? And I think that's the role of the people leader. So the people leader to me is the most important. If you sign up to be a people leader, you're signing up for a lot of responsibility because the role you play, and, I, and I've seen this over and over, the role you play in someone's life, it, it, it can be life-changing mm -hmm. for the good or for the bad, depending on the type of leader you are. So I think where the e-learning the e starts is with the people leader, understanding the vision, understanding the purpose, understanding what the e-learning is going to provide, and then setting that tone with the colleague. And before the colleague even sits down at a computer, they're bought into, this is why I'm going to spend a half an hour of my time off the sales floor, learning about this. And the benefit to me, or we call it the WIFM, what's in it for me, is when I emerge from this, it's going to lead to X, Y, and Z. And, and that's, to me, that's that I premise everything on, on the people leader's biggest role is to provide the why. Provide the vision, gain the buy-in. And then after the colleague takes it, it's not like you just, okay, poof, Justin's an expert now in this. It's now the people leader circling back and, and saying, so walk me through. What did you get from it? What did you like about it? What were some of the challenges? Let's talk about how we're going to apply it now in your role. How can I support you? So bookends. Do you think there are perhaps limitations to the types of learning that can be done through e-learning tools? For example, just very high level and to oversimplify my question to say, you know, hard skills, task-based things optimized for e-learning, soft skills, how to interact with the customer, you know, some of those other things that would be important that may not be optimized for e-learning. Are there breakpoints in your mind about where we should divide that experience for the learner? It's a great question. It's a great question. And I, I think we face that more now as, as e-learning becomes more of a part of my role and what I'm creating. I think it's funny. I just had a conversation with a couple of leaders because I happen to be writing a new program that 90% of it is behavioral. And there's a strategy piece and then I'm supposed to take the strategy and now make it behavioral. And I think you're, you hit it right on the nose. What's that balance? So I think e-learning is, is important and, and critical for retention of knowledge so when you're looking at taking a compliance course about safety or a compliance course about sadly about active shooting mm -hmm. you know those things are drilled into your head through all the different scenarios you go to and you're going to remember that when it comes to behavior and the art of conversation and the art of humanity and interacting i think e-learning can provide examples and i think it can provide thought provoking you know ideas on 
on developing those skills, but ultimately that to me is the role of the people leader because that's that's going to be different for you. So if I did a course on the art of conversation, the five steps of being a great conversationalist. Okay, I might remember those five steps, but when I'm interacting with you, Justin, I'm not gonna say, oh, first, did I open with this conversation starter? Did I ask Justin how his day was? Those are all just steps. How I bring it to life, it has to be uniquely Steven or yeah. it has to be uniquely Justin. Right. And that's the role of the coach. Yeah. I, I spoke with a retailer once, <clears throat> I won't mention any proper names, but um, about our system training technology in, in my day job. And they had, uh, they were struggling with a handheld application that they needed their frontline workers to use. But as we really did the discovery um, with this organization, what we really found was that it had nothing to do with how the users were interacting with the application or the handheld device. It had everything to do with how the um, frontline worker was interacting with their customers. Mm -hmm. And the challenge that they were having was that the people were interacting too much with the technology and not making eye contact and not greeting the guest and, and things like that. Right. And they were doing things that, you know, sound so innocent, but they were basically asking for a guest's mobile number. Yeah. And there was a reason for this because they were going to be putting them into a queue yep. capability where they were going to then text them when they it was their turn and all that kind of stuff. So it was a very innocent request and it was right. actually going to help the customer. The problem wasn't how do you type in the mobile number into the app? That part was actually pretty simple, but it was about how do you interact with the customer during that exchange, you know, somebody's just walked up and you say, Hey, give me your mobile number. And I'm like, I'm not giving you my mobile number, you know, right. It's so, all how you ask. Right. Yeah. So, so there was just a ton of it. This had nothing to do with technology adoption, which is really our sweet spot. But, but what it made me realize is that there are so many elements to that interaction between the employee and your customer, and you get one chance to make a first impression. Absolutely. And, it, and really, this all was so pivotal for a quality customer experience, right? Because the, the whole reason that they were investing in this technology was to improve the customer experience, not to create awkward circumstances between their employers <laughs> and customers, right? Or employees and customers. So anyway, it just it, it was really fascinating to me to just really think about the, the soft skills element and then where technology can play a role in training for that. And, and I think you just said it perfectly, like I could give that employee the five steps to improving that interaction. But at some point, like there's a, a human element of that that's just Correct. gonna require some oversight and coaching and, and some nurturing through that process that I'm not sure can be done through e-learning. Yeah, and I think these advancements in e-learning and, and I, I was working with a, a software company a couple of weeks ago that said, we can create you know an avatar based on you and you would be this avatar. And I yeah. thought, we really have come a long way with artificial intelligence. Ultimately, as great as those experiences are, I, I still would always encourage the people leader is a, has a big role in, in what did you learn and, and let's talk about it now in real life. Yeah. I think the one place that there's a combination approach is to, to extend the capabilities of the coach so that they can be virtually in more than one place at a time, right? <laughs> so that some portions of this learning experience for a team of learners, like if we were just looking at a one-on-one -on -one scenario and you had one coach for every, you know, employee in the organization, then you may not need technology okay. to help you scale that. But in most cases, that's just not the case, right? So there's right. one coach for 10 or 15 employees, depending on the environment. And uh, so some of these 
technology tools can allow them to achieve some scale where some portions of that content can be delivered in, in an appropriate form electronically, but then free them up to do the things that perhaps a, a human is most optimized for. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the, the span of control for a people leader today uh, is much higher than it was a few years ago. And as much as we talked about when we started, you know, our discussion about what I thought the challenges are for the hourly colleague or the desk worker with where we are as a culture and the different challenges that, that we face, you know, it's that blurring of personal and professional. We used to be able to say, leave your problems at the door. And when you come in, put a smile on your face. I don't think we're necessarily in that world anymore because when you think about not to be a downer, but every day is an active shooter. That's now a reality in a, re in, in a, in a public. Yeah. If you work with a public, that is now reality. That yeah. any day this could happen. So, you know, that's a lot. That's a lot of anxiety to go to work, to think about between what we face as, as just coming through the pandemic and all the other challenges, you know, the active shooter situation is a daily occurrence in America. So when you're a people leader, not only do you face all of these because you're a deathless worker as well, you're just the leader of a team. You now have this group of people reporting to you. So the role of the people leader in my eyes has, has changed to be a lot more empathetic, not enabling, because I always make sure people understand the distinction between the two. Mm -hmm. But there's this approach I, I try to always provide our people leaders with uh, when we're first engaging with our teams, Justin, it's not Justin, what are you doing? It's Justin, how are you doing? And let's talk about that first, because for you to be your authentic self, for you to deliver everything I'm expecting of you, you have to be okay. And you have yeah. to be in the game. And I think that's a people leader's number one role now is, is their team and, and ensuring their team um, is ready, is capable and feels connected. How do you delineate between enabling and being empathetic? I, 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 the, the way I look at it as being empathetic is, is having that sincerity and that genuine interest uh, and ability to listen uh, and that ability to do your best to understand enabling is allowing behavior based on what that person uh, is feeling. So if you were to arrive at work, Justin, and I notice you're not performing, well, an empathetic leader is going to assume good intent and they're going to say, let me check in on Justin and let me do this without it feeling like a drive-by terrible expression. But yeah, you know, I think you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Or I'm not going to be looking at my phone or I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to just sit eye to eye and say, Justin, what's going on? Here's what I've noticed. How can I support you? Enabling would be allowing your behavior to continue on the sales mm -hmm. floor because ah, Justin's just going through it. So I get it if he's not being the most service oriented. I can't allow that because I'm still running a business and you still have to be responsible. So my role as a people leader is going to say, how can I support you? Do you feel you could be here today, Justin? Because when we're on the floor, you have to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And if you're not up to that today, I completely understand. I'd rather you know, have you take a day for yourself versus have you on the floor not being ready. That's the difference between empathy and, and enabling. Yeah. 
No, I, I think that's a great explanation. And this podcast, which we basically started during the pandemic, <laughs> has you know, captive just, audience. Yeah, yeah I mean. for sure. <laughs> for sure. It was either the best or the worst time to start a podcast. I'm not sure which. Um, but I, you know, I've learned from our guests this idea about all of the change that's impacting humans. Yeah. And I've wrongly often thought about that as just change as it relates to work, but the pandemic and just all of the change that we've gone through has made me realize that all of us come to work and we have this, I'm just going to kind of call it baggage, right? Yeah, we, we're absolutely. dealing with change. We're, we're dealing with wars around the world. We're dealing with um, other crises around the world. We're dealing with uh, family things that are going on. Uh, you know, when we have a school shooting and then we're sending our kids off to school, uh, that stress is weighing on parents, whether their kid, you know, was in that same school district or not, it doesn't matter. That stress is still weighing on people. And then we do expect all of us uh, to, to come to work and be able to flip yeah. that switch. And so right. that's obviously just easier said than done. Yeah. I do appreciate something else that you said, though, which is that we do have a job to do. And for the customer that walks into your store or any other you know, interaction in a business, uh, that's their first, perhaps maybe only interaction with our business is that frontline worker. And so there is kind of an expectation that they be in a position to be on their game, right? All the time when yeah. they, when they're customer facing. And I, I love your, your point that if you're not in a position to be on your game, then perhaps you should step out today. And, um, but, but that requires an organization and a culture that's supportive of that and say, go take the rest of the day, right. come back tomorrow with, you know, fresh and uh, we'll fill in, figure out a way to fill in around you here. Absolutely. And I, it's certainly not an easy thing to do. And especially when, yeah. you know, it, but there's a risk versus reward piece. Right. Nine times out of 10, that colleague's going to say, I'm fine. They just needed, uh, you know, we never know as humans how much influence we have on another human by just stopping and listening. And when we slow down and a person provides another person with that moment, I bet a year's salary, nine times out of 10, that colleague's going to feel much better than they did when they walked in. They felt heard. They felt validated. Their problems didn't go away, but they felt someone actually cared and listened. And they're going to go out there and they're going to have the best day that they'd had. So nine times out of 10, you're not saying, you know, I don't think the person goes home. I think they just need to know that there's a, 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 a my people leader or someone that I work with had a moment. Uh, and honestly, customers, I think are the same way. When I think about how I think, you know, retailers, uh, hotelers, I think we are so not uh, appreciated for the role that we play in people's lives because so much of someone going into a store or getting on is, is escapism. And, you know, so you have the ability to really just make an impact on, on anyone's lives. Uh, and I think if humans realize more, I know I'm going a little philosophical, this might be a different no, podcast. Um, I just think if humans realize their, their individual power to have an impact in someone's life, I think we'd all treat each other a little differently. Yeah, for sure. It's, I, I had an experience just uh, a week ago. My wife and I don't go out to dinner very often, 
but we happen to have just a, a spontaneous jump out to go uh, check out a new restaurant in town. And we sat down in um, the, the wine that was delivered. It was not delivered by the waiter. It was delivered by, you know, a runner who brought something out from the bar and the wine glass was just completely dirty. And, and, you know, my wife just immediately her reaction, I think we just had such big expectations about sitting down yeah. and we were really looking forward to just having a few minutes together and just enjoying <laughs> this new place. And so like one of the first experiences we had sitting down at this restaurant was a crappy, dirty wine glass. Right. And so she got very frustrated quickly. Okay. <laughs> so, I didn't have my finger on her pulse, but I could read her heart rate going up, you know, but, <laughs> but this is a great example. The waiter came over and she was like, she was ready to fight him. And the guy said, this is completely unacceptable. I'm yeah. going to make this better right now. And immediately my wife's demeanor flipped around 180 degrees. And so I was just kind of, I was an observer, right? This was not, You're this like, was I'm not, not getting involved. <laughs> Exactly. I'm not but standing now, between my wife and her glass of wine on a Friday night. But now you're like, bartender, can you bring me a shot? Because I'm exactly. already out. <laughs> exactly. But but it was really interesting. And my, my wife and I talked about it. I didn't want to interrupt our dinner. So we had a fine dinner and everything was awesome from that point forward. But when we went outside, as we were walking back to the car, I said, you know, there was an interesting interaction between you and the waiter when he came up. And I said, did you notice how your behavior changed? Like she couldn't say enough about the great service all of a sudden in this place. Right. And I just thought, gosh, that's such an amazing situation. That guy, there were a thousand things he could have said at that moment, but man, he nailed it. And I don't know if that was just his personality or if he had been trained by that restaurant owner to, to handle situations like that, but to acknowledge how my wife probably felt. That's exactly what she was probably going to say is that's unacceptable. Absolutely. And the fact that he got it out there before she did turn that situation around entirely. And I probably need to learn how to deal with my wife a little better with my own behavior. Sometimes Honey, <laughs> <laughs> my behavior was unacceptable. That's funny. Uh, see if I could turn her as quickly, but anyway, it just made me realize there's how many interactions like that happen in retail wow. and in other, you know, frontline facing roles. Every you know, minute. Yeah. I, I thought that was just so interesting. Well, there's two things that I'm going to observe. I observed in that story. And I love these types of scenarios because they're real life. So the two things I would pick out of that as a, as a learning experience was one, that colleague, the employee that, that uh, took ownership immediately has a passion for what he does. Mm -hmm. And he's passionate about his work and he has an integrity and he owned it, which I think is, that's amazing. Like I would hire a thousand of those types of people. Right. The other piece to this is part of what I, I try to instill in our people leaders um, is to assume good intent. So on, and your wife had every reason to be disappointed because, I mean, come on, I came to a restaurant. If I want, I, I, you know, it wasn't personal and it wasn't intentional. Somewhere down the chain of command, someone didn't have that pride that that, that waiter did because they allowed that glass to get through the dishwashing right to the rack, to being stacked in a bar, to the waiter station. So all those things, somewhere missed that chain. So to me, always assuming good intent was, it wasn't personal. Somewhere there was a breakdown. Now, had he come over and he not such a great ownership of it, yeah, I'd continue with being pretty disappointed and frustrated. So I, I always, that's one thing I always try to instill in people, assume good intent. So if, if you have, you know, five direct reports and one or two of them aren't 
performing or they're not getting it. So, so why? What's your role in it? And, and what's the block? Find the why. And we do that through the empathy skill. Um, yeah. So I'm going to assume good intent. I'm going to assume Justin wants to succeed. Listen, I mean, I still have some faith in humanity that most of us want to do a good job. What's preventing us from doing a good job? Is it my connection to my people leader? We just don't have a good relationship. Am I not receiving the skills and the education I need? Is this role a wrong fit for me? Yeah. So that's the role of the people leader to determine skill versus will, which is my other favorite expression. Tell me about that. Skill versus will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> skill versus will is I have the ability to do it. I want to do it. But for some reason, something's blocking me. So when I look at determining, when I challenge a people leader to say, when you think about a skill versus will for this person that's not, that's not performing, walk me through that conversation to determine it. Because the skill piece of it is something's blocking their ability to do it. And you have to unearth what that is. So whether it's providing more education, whether it's providing more coaching, more one-on-one time. The will is I have that ability. I just don't want it. I'm disengaged. And that's a problem because when a person has the ability, but they're choosing not to, then it's up to that people leader to figure out what has disengaged this person that when they're arriving to work, they don't want to deliver. And that could be a ton of reasons. It could be the wrong role. It could be a wrong connection with the people leader. This person might feel that the people leader favors other people and doesn't see this person. So identifying skill versus will is is critical in the development of a a team um, and developing performance. Yeah. We're we're running short on time, but I realized that I didn't dig into something that I wanted to circle back around with you on. You talked about virtual reality and some of the other technologies, and we were kind of comparing and contrasting soft skills versus hard skills and things like that. Right. I'm curious to to get your perspective on the future of mm-hmm. the use of technology in the development of those soft skills. Okay. There are products right now that are simulating interactions with customers that are able to listen to their voice and do sentiment analysis. I mean, this stuff exists right now. I don't think they're widely distributed across all industries today, but I mean, these right. technologies exist today. What's your take? You, you seem to just have such a close personal connection with mm-hmm. the human side of these things. And I'm mm-hmm. curious to get your take on where you think tech will fits today and, and where you see it evolving to. That's a great question. So I, I, I think it's going to continue to play a bigger role. I think in my dream world, if we scale down to this five minutes or less type virtual reality, I think the more realistic these e-learning platforms become, and I look at, I'm not a gamer, but people that that are so into like the Sims or these, or even this whole meta universe that Facebook's doing, um, I think that the more I can step into a virtual reality where my behavioral or, or soft skills, however, whatever we want to term it, have a immediate reaction that I can continue to practice in this virtual reality world, I think that's going to change the game. So right now, the platforms I'm using and that, that I've worked with vendors on is still I'm choosing a path and I'm getting rewarded for the right answer. 
And I don't think a certification or a proficiency check does anything for behavior, behavioral skills. If I could step into an augmented reality where the only way to navigate is by me interacting with you, Justin, to move me further, I think that's going to be practice. It's like learning a new language. It's repetition. That's what I think starts to change behavioral skills. I don't know if we're there yet. I'm sure we are there yet. I don't think we have the budget for it yet. But I think the more that becomes scalable and reachable, but it still won't take away the role of a people leader to set this up with the vision and the why for me to want to go through it. And then when I come out of training, that that people leader is reinforcing what I'm doing or redirecting what I might not be doing. And we're, we're aligned. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that's the opportunity for organizations to, there's still a role for people leaders and right. the, the people, the humans in the business are still going to need to set the rules for VR and any of the technology is still being built by and for humans. Right. So there's still an important role to figure out, like, what do we want these interactions to even be like? Be like. But like we were talking about before, with just some of the other current e-learning technologies now, perhaps giving those coaches and mentors the ability to, um, you know, amplify their impact mm -hmm. by being, you know, having asynchronous learning opportunities for the people in their organization um, that can be augmented by their actual human-to-human -human mentorship. I wonder if VR technologies will start to shift that line further and further over to, you know, more use of tech versus uh, less mentor. I wonder, I, I, I don't know. I, I think the advancements are, are, are amazing. And I don't know if Facebook could launch a universe where people live in a virtual, like it, scary as that might be, because I think we need more human interaction and not virtual yeah. interaction. Um, I think if we continue to also focus on the role of a coach, I think the e-learning will play a role in that education equity. Everyone receives the same experience, the same exposure, the same opportunity. I think the more we can sharpen what it means to be a leader of people and a person who signs up to be a leader of people, they feel it, I'm pointing to my heart, and that's on the podcast, but they feel it here. That's why, it's their, that's why they chose this role. Otherwise you'd be an individual contributor. And that's fine too. You might not want direct reports. right? If you sign up to lead people, you're signing up for a whole new level of responsibility because I'm now responsible just if you report to me. At the end of the day, I'm responsible for your success. And I'm hoping I'm going to make your life better than how I found you by growing you and making you more successful or, or achieving your goals with you. But I have to feel like fulfilled by that. And you know, to me, that's the, that's the skill of a people leader. Yeah. And the power of a people leader. I find myself conflicted on this because I'm a guy who really enjoys technology. I've built my entire career and, and lots of my personal life are, are around technology. I right. really enjoy uh, learning about and implementing new tech in all facets of my life and my career. Uh, at the same time, I'm also a people person that cherishes human interaction. And so I'm curious to see where this evolution happens. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I've got a 19 year old son and I'm very fortunate that my son would give up his technology in a blink of an eye to have <laughs> real world experiences. He'd rather really? go to a concert. He'd rather go do things outdoors. He'd rather go mountain biking than sit behind, you know, games. And I'm just very lucky that 
I'm not, you know, kind of battling what I know a lot of other parents are battling there. Yeah, that's, um, that's smart. That's an amazing, um, that's a insightful kid. Yeah, it, it's, I, I feel very fortunate about that. He likes technology too. And he does, you know, mess around. He's got a VR headset that he got this summer that he's messing around with. So he definitely has those experiences too, but he would drop that headset in a minute to go, right. you know, see an event somewhere live. So I, I look at how he's growing up and I say, well, he's growing up in the same world around a lot of other kids who their yeah. parents tell me they can't pull them away from their Xbox. And um, I, I don't know if we've done something different or if we just got lucky just, you know, in, in terms of how his DNA is. But I think about the future mm-hmm. and I think about, you know, how those interactions are going to continue to happen between the, the team members that you support today and your customers. I mean, let's face it, this metaverse thing you know, some of your physical store presence could be replaced. I know. Probably in the metaverse, right? It's, it's so, <laughs> so I, it's, I, I'm shaking my head in disbelief that this is where we are going in knowing that we already have a challenge in this country, world, wherever, dealing with each other as humans. And now we're making it more virtual. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to, to, to what you said before that you're so passionate about, listen, I think technology is so important. It's it's how we use it. And just hearing your excitement about what you create with technology and you're providing the why for why it's going to benefit someone. But the example you gave before about it, it's not just saying, hey, let me have your phone number so I can put it in my phone. You have to say, here's the tool. And this is what the tool is going to give you. But let's not lose the human factor of understanding why I have to ask for your phone number and the benefit to you as a customer. That's the piece where I come in. So I take what you create and I put the behaviors around it because no matter what direction we're looking at, we have to provide the why. Yeah. It's a great place for us to wrap it up. Yeah. Stephen, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today. It's been a fantastic conversation. There were a bunch of topics that we really didn't get a chance to, uh, to explore further. So we may have to have you on another podcast someday. Uh, absolutely. Anytime. I think this was a, this was a great, uh, it fuels me. So I, I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. Well, I'm glad. And we're looking forward to uh, having you join us. A lot of our audience have heard me talk about the Frontline Innovators Council, and um, we invite all of our podcast guests to come and participate. So we have uh, about 80 members in the Frontline Innovator Council now, and um, we host a monthly meeting where we just bring together all of the former podcast guests and the hosts, and uh, we just have a, an informal monthly conversation. So uh, looking forward to having you come and join us in that Absolutely. and uh, staying in touch with you. I look forward to it. Justin, thank Excellent. you very much. Excellent. To our audience, we do need to wrap it up there. Um, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. It's been a great discussion with Stephen today. We could really use your help. Please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are out there innovating on the front lines. And a reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skyllful.com. Thank you very much for your time today. And uh, Stephen, we'll see you again soon. All right, Justin. Thank you.